0: You ready, Andy? Yep, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm just waiting for the music.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to another, oh my god I can't believe the new trailer for The Matrix has come out, episode of Pottywood. I am one of your co-hosts Steve
0: Hester and with me as always is... Uh, that would be me, Andrew Roger Carson, uh, behaving this week. That makes a change. It does make it. change. Uh, it's the trauma of that Street Fighter episode that's going to stay with me forever. <laughs> I had a
1: lot of fun doing that Street Fighter episode and uh, we've been getting some good feedback from it. Uh, kind of across the board, and particularly from uh, one of our Patreon guys, Luke. Say, hi, Luke. Um, He delved right into that. Absolutely adored it. And uh, I can't wait to do another one, actually.
0: Well, we're glad that we amuse you in our own little way. Yes. But yes, the Matrix trailer, I know you kind of had to mention it.
1: Oh, I had to, because I think I mentioned on here ages ago that I wasn't really too thrilled about it. And then I saw the trailer, and now I'm thrilled about it. So I can't wait. Fair enough.
0: I was I was more into. It's one step on a duck. Was that you? That was me being excited. All oh, right. <laughs> okay. I thought you were doing this episode from the bath, and that was your duck. Um, <laughs> you wish. Yeah. Well, one thing that I've kind of flagged up on this week, and I just read it this morning, is that the creator of The Sopranos is extremely angry. In brackets,
1: what
2: did that, we do?
0: That no, not at us, For they once. But uh, the creator of The Sopranos is extremely angry at the prequel film is streaming on HBO Max. Ooh, okay. So
1: this has come around again, hasn't it? The old
0: people getting pissed off about things streaming when they should be in cinemas. You think that's bad? Wait until Dune gets released simultaneously. <laughs> but, but to be honest, when you've got the, the creator of The Sopranos saying that he's extremely angry, that should be a red flag. But speaking of red flags... Let's talk about what's in the box from last week. Yes, that's well the best segue. Well done. Segway. Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, you had to go and watch Flags of Our Fathers, which was uh, Clint Eastwood's American side Iwo Jima movie.
1: Yes, yes, it was. Now, the end of last week's episode, you said that I had to watch both of them. And I, I decided that I wasn't going to. I was going to fight against the, the evilness of your dictatorship. And I only watched the one.
0: Mainly- no, you didn't. You're yes, an absolute did. liar. Yes, Last night you messaged me <laughs> saying, oh, you know, I'm just, I've got to get into Letters from Iwo Jima. And I flagged up to you the fact that I said, when I, I told you who the guest was for this week, I said, yeah, just watch Flags of Arthavas and you can watch Letters from Iwo Jima next week. Don't lie to our fan base, Steve. Don't lie. Don't be that guy, Steve. You're a bastard. You know that, don't you? Yes, but I'm a fact checked bastard.
1: Yes. Uh, Well, anyway, yes, I did watch Flags of Our Fathers, which is the, I suppose it is a true story. It's an interpretation of a true story about the very, very famous picture, which was the soldiers on the island of Iwo Jima during the Second World War, who raised a US flag. Now, you will know this picture, even if you live in a cave somewhere. Um, Or you've seen the statue you've seen the statue you've seen the picture you've seen the propaganda and this movie is all about three soldiers in particular you've got uh John Doc Bradley Rennie yes. Gagnon I can't remember how you pronounce his name very uh, Brooklyn style name though yep and uh, Ira Hayes who were picked out to drive the purchase of bonds to fund the U.S. war effort It's intercut between their stories back over in the U.S. and the actual fight to take the island. And like you said, Andy, it's a companion piece to Letters from Iwo Jima. This all takes place from the U.S. side. Letters from Iwo Jima takes place all from the perspective of the Japanese. And it's an interesting movie. I don't think it's particularly put together as well as it could be. Sometimes it flits back and forth between flashback, flash forward, and then flashes further back, and then it, it, the, the actual timeline doesn't quite mesh as well as it could do. But I did think it was a really, really well done film. The opening section, in particular, I was watching it thinking. This reminds me of Saving Private Ryan as the storming the beach, and you've got the Japanese emplacements that are opening fire. And then I found out later on that it was actually produced by Steven Spielberg. He was trying to get it off the ground for some time, then Clint Eastwood came along and said, No,
2: I'm going to do this film with you.
1: And then Steve went, uh, "Okay, because uh, you don't want to tell Clint Eastwood." No, Um Clint was having
0: a really bad day the day you said that, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've got to stop doing impressions. Oh, God, I sound so terrible. So
0: some, some you get spot on, and then others you just like, <laughs> I would never have guessed that in a million years.
2: I'm gonna direct a movie, punk.
0: Uh- that's, that sounds nothing like him. No, it doesn't. But yes, yes, uh, I, I do get what you're saying. Apparently, um, Clint Eastwood wanted the rights for the longest time and then discovered that Steven Spielberg owned the rights. And I think they were at something like a governor's ball or something like that. And yeah, it was some kind of party. About it. Some kind of rich elitist party where they just started talking about it and next thing you know, they, they were together and making these two movies. Uh, it was budgeted at 80 million, but it actually cost 55 million to shoot. Flags Mm -hmm. of Our Fathers. So it shot at nearly half of the shoot schedule as well. Yeah. Now, Letters from Iwo Jima was budgeted around 20 million and it cost 15 million. So already they were under schedule and under budget. And both movies were around 70 million in budget combined. Now, the rumor mill, apparently, and I'm sure Mr. Daly is really going to tell me otherwise, but the rumor mill says that Warner Brothers kind of inflated. The budget as part of a campaign because they felt that Letters from Iwo Jima had Oscars potential. I could see
1: that, and watching it, it really well. Sorry, Letters of Iwo Jima does. Um, I'm guessing I've not actually got around to watching that yet. But this <laughs> you'll sound like I'm, such
0: an idiot next I'm, week.
1: I'm, I'm getting confused. I'm getting confused because <laughs> there's two films and it's pretty much the same thing. And I haven't watched the
0: second one. Yes. I'm getting confused with which one. What yeah. did you did you just watch a movie last night called Letters from My Father? No. <laughs> Actually, speaking of
1: which, I actually watched this, not last night, but the night before. And I, oh, r- and I random was, cheating. No, not random cheating, because I was intending to watch Letters from Iwo Jima last night, and then you sent me the message saying, no, don't bother, do it next week. Uh, so I ended up watching Tron Legacy in 3D. Yay. Um, but no, it, it was actually a really, really well-performed movie, and there's tons of little... Cameo roles, almost, with some big name actors such as Robert Patrick. You've got Jamie Bell, uh, Billy Elliot himself, who plays Iggy, who uh, goes missing at the beginning. And that's, this is an example of what I mean about the the randomness of the the timeline because he disappears early on in the movie in a foxhole, and then he's brought up later on. But I completely forgotten by that point. Of I knew that someone had gone missing, but I couldn't remember who it was that had actually gone missing. And then they just kept on bringing up this character called Iggy, and they're going, who the hell's Iggy? But th- I think the biggest piece of interest is the actual situation surrounding the erection of the flag, insofar as there are actually two flags that went up, and
0: it's mentioned in yes. the movie. The second one that went up is the one that's photographed. They basically staged it, yeah. apparently the yeah. second time for that infamous photograph.
1: So there's many references within the film about who was there at the time and who put up the flag because the first group of soldiers to erect the flag were then going back down the hill by the time the second lot had arrived to then put up the second flag because the first flag was taken down on the orders of an actual general, I think, or, or some kind of commanding officer who said that he wanted it for, for the, uh, the war effort himself. And so there's lots of issues surrounding that throughout the film as the three soldiers are there trying to come to terms with who should be there, and pretty much all of their squadron was wiped out during the battle because the the erection of the flag only took place on the fifth day, and there was another 30-odd days of fighting which went on before the island was captured. But what I did find out later on, and this is kind of interesting, is that the three soldiers that I mentioned... Two of them apparently have been flagged up as not being in the photograph. Very true. Yeah, Gagnon and Doc Bradley. Uh, well, people have worked out that it wasn't them, and it was should be uh, Private First Class Harold Keller and Corporal Harold Schultz. It just goes to show how awkward this whole thing. This whole thing is really.
0: Yeah, I mean. It's still being disputed as much as two years ago. Yeah. You know, they, they were still raising dispute over the flag raisers and their identities. So it is one of those stories that keeps getting controversy. No more controversy than obviously Spike Lee aims at the movies. Yes. <laughs> yes. He I heavily did read that criti- as well. Yeah. Yes. He heavily criticised Clint uh, at the Cannes Film Festival when it came out because it didn't showcase the African-American Marines at Iwo Jima. When truth, I mean, the movie was about the Marines who raised the flag, okay, mm-hmm. and black and white uh, soldiers back in the day were segregated during mm-hmm. World War Two. You know, so you can kind of see exactly where it was coming from. And then, of course, uh, Clint Eastwood just told Spike Lee to shut his face <laughs> very publicly. So yeah. I just think you needs to shut his face. And it's like, yeah, well, you won't be the first person who Spike Lee's pissed off, but. You know, and Spike Lee ended up calling Clint Eastwood a, a grumpy old man. So, oh, that's, that was cutting. But it got to a point where it's like, these two guys are going to get into it. This will be brilliant.
1: Yeah, I don't even care how old Clint is. I do not want to piss him
0: off. <laughs> no. I Spe- really speaking don't. of of people on that movie who potentially pissed him off, did you realize, uh, well, did you identify that David Rashi was in the movie? No. Who some of you might remember as playing. Uh, the lead in a TV show called Sledgehammer, which was a parody oh, of yes. Dirty Harry.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: yes. Oh. Can you imagine that that day on set?
1: I remember reading that, but he did have a quite a good sense of humour about it. Which yeah. Clint,
0: Clint apparently did find it funny. He, he was a fan of the series, yeah. which was just a pure riff on uh, the Dirty Harry movies.
1: Well, if we're going to be talking about people that's in it, they just have to give a quick, uh, quick pause because one of those actors who you see in a lot of stuff but you can never remember their names, Barry Pepper, uh, was in this. He was also in uh, Saving Private Ryan. So it's it's like he just seems to be attracted to Steven Spielberg war films. Uh, but though I will say, why has he not got a doctorate yet? <laughs> you know,
0: he's missing a trick. Yes. There we go. Maybe we can start a bit of a movement. Yeah. So, yes, uh, that was What's in the from this week. Did you enjoy the movie? I did.
1: <laughs> I did. I, I actually have a fondness for that kind of period in history, and I thought the movie was actually well done. I think if I had to have any negative points, I'd say that, like I say, the editing was a little bit choppy, and the music didn't quite fit as well as it should have done. It sounds like it should have fit, but it just didn't. It sounded a little bit off. Uh, but, no, I, I enjoyed it, and I am looking forward to watching Letters from Iwo Jima
0: to see what things were like from the other side, the other perspective. Exactly. Just to commemorate the anniversary of Iwo Jima, but I think there's some other anniversaries we've got to talk about this week, Steve.
2: We watch them again all of the time or oh, we get them on Prime for free. But we only know how old they are when we, their anniversary. we don't need no
0: stinking baches. That song, I'm convinced you're slowing down every week. I'm
1: not touching it.
0: That, th- that felt like a fortnight. I'm not touching it. Okay. I'm just going to well,
1: do it one day. It's just going to be one note. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like, name that tune. <laughs> yeah, it will
0: be. Anyway, uh, we've got four anniversaries this week. Uh, that I have ploughed through history to bring to mm-hmm. us today, and we're going to start at 40 years. Can you believe, Steve? Yes, Andy. 40 years ago this week, the movie Arthur was released. Ooh, Dudley and uh, oh, Liza Minnelli. Was it Liza yes. Minnelli? Yeah. Dudley Moore's most remembered role, that apparently was based on Peter Cook. Would you believe?
1: Uh, <laughs> I can actually, yeah.
0: His breakout movie role on his own and he brings his comedy partner and basically lampoons him. But uh, this was directed by a director by the name of Steve Gordon who only directed two movies Arthur being one of them. Uh, But before he sadly died in uh, 1982, the year following this movie, of Heart Failure. But he was actually a writer for the Dick Van Dyke show, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as writing that movie where Henry Winkler was a wrestler. I can't remember the name of it now. It's Mm -hmm. Something like The Greatest or The one and only, or or something along that line. And it had that infamous uh, song by Christopher Cross that gets really annoying as the years go on. Which one? Because Uh, as soon
1: as you said Christopher Cross, all I thought was just, you know, crisscross, crisscross, and make it (laughs) jump, jump,
0: crisscross, and make it jump. That song would have been probably better than uh, The Best That You Can Do is, Is Fall In Love. Oh, God, it's such Got an it. annoying Sounds song.
1: It sounds horrible. Don't
0: sing it. I don't want it in my head. It's that, it's that song you always hear on hospital radio. It's terrible. But I, I always remember at least one story from Arthur, which is probably one of my most favourite stories. It's in regards to Liza Minnelli. Apparently, they're doing the scene where, you know, she gets on the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says goodbye to her and gets on the bus. Now, when filming this scene, all goes well. She gets on the bus. And it's a perfect shot and everything. But the problem was, it wasn't the right bus she got on. Oh! <laughs> which, she, which she only realised as she saw all the crew laughing as she was being driven away down blocks. So in between the bus getting ready to come in, a real bus actually pulled up. Oh she gets on it, films the scene fine, and is driven about five blocks away.
1: Yeah.
2: Which is
0: I, uh, Why am
1: I going to Brooklyn? What's going on <laughs> yeah.
0: here? That's brilliant. I'd love to know if that's the actual shot that's in the movie as well. Oh. Um, okay, let's go for 25 years. 25 years ago this week, Joel Schumacher's A Time to Kill was released.
1: Oh, I haven't seen it, but I think that got brought up recently. Um,
0: go- and we were talking about it with Bill, I Yeah, that was it. That was it, yeah. Yeah, obviously this was directed by Joel Schumacher of Phantom of the Opera or Other Side of the Scale, Batman and Robin. <laughs> just for that sound effect. And this was one of Matthew McConaughey's really major first roles.
1: Yeah, I think this was one of the first ones where he moved away from being the kind of dumb surfer guy like he was in uh, Dazed and Confused and was actually starting to be taken seriously. Yeah,
0: I think prior to this, it, he had a bit part in a Bill Murray movie, uh, Bill Murray in an Elephant movie or something. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. And he was also in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel. With Renée Zellweger. With, yes, with Renée Zellweger, that's the one. Uh, but Matthew actually auditioned for the role that Kiefer Sutherland plays in the movie. and right. So apparently he didn't uh, think he was, he was qualified for the lead role because he hadn't had major exposure at that point but I think John Schumacher gave him a a screen test for it and you know this is a role that really catapulted him into the lead and originally Kevin Costner was considered for the Jake Brigance role that Matthew McConaughey played but as rumour goes he wanted full control of the film and John Gresham apparently said no right and this was his first book this was actually his first novel and I think it was probably his, his fourth one that was turned into a movie but uh, he based it off a, a testimony in a trial that he witnessed about a um, a young girl who was raped. And this, that's how this entire novel w- was made and then into a movie. And it's, it is a really good movie. Well, I'm going to have to
1: check it out. I know it is a good movie because I have heard people wax lyrical about it many a time. But uh, no, I haven't seen it. Gonna have to add it. Add it to the list. Stick it in the
0: box. Okay, it might it might already be in there. I know one that is in there though, which you've already probably seen. But fifteen years ago this week, Talladega Nights, the uh, ballad of Ricky Bobby, was released. Uh, you've not seen it, have you?
1: No, but to be honest, that was around about a period where uh, Will Farrell was basically doing the same character in the same movie, just changing occupation.
0: It's very true. This movie was actually pitched as Will Farrell as a NASCAR driver. That was basically the entire pitch to get this movie off the ground.
1: Yeah, just like Blades of Glory, just in a car.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but this one uh, directed by Academy Award winner Adam McKay, amazing writer-director who has come to prominence over the last couple of years as the writer-director of movies like Vice, and the Big Short as well. It also starred uh, John C. Riley mm-hmm. in his umpteenth appearance alongside Will Farrell. Uh, the movie is a spoof on Days of Thunder, which John C. Riley was also in.
1: There you go. <laughs> so it, it must have been the,
0: right after uh, Prisons of War.
1: No, Casualties of War,
0: not Prisons of War. Jeez, You're not on it today, are you?
1: I'm not. I'm tired. Yeah, you're I've just, been working.
0: You're piss pronunciating all your worms. Yes. So, one thing I do remember about Talladega Nights is the first 400 PlayStation 3s came with a free copy of this movie.
1: <laughs> I can believe that. They probably wanted to get rid of them. They just probably. had a stack of them at the uh, the Sony headquarters. Thought, no, get rid of
0: them. Get rid of them. Very true. Uh, finally, ten years ago this week, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy was released, which was uh, a remake of yeah. the John le Carre... Uh, novel slash series. It was directed by Thomas Alfredson, who had directed uh, the fantastic Let the Right One In, and the Mm -hmm. not-so-fantastic The Snowman, starring Michael Fassbender. But this was a a really great movie. It was Gary Oldman's first Oscar. How's that possible? I, I, I don't know. It
1: should have been ages ago. No, because Gary should've. Oldman has been... I, we, I think we discussed this ages ago, you and me. We were talking about how many times Gary Oldman has been a good guy in movies versus how many times he's been a bad guy. This is one of the few where he was actually a good guy. But I haven't seen this. I have seen the, the original years ago with Alec Guinness in it. Oh, um, yes. But for some reason, the only thing that I can that keeps coming back to me with this
0: name is a line from the thick of it. Oh, yeah. 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 Yes. But yes, um, Tinker Sailor Soldier Spy, um, a great look of London in the 70s, uh, filmed with a very voyeuristic approach. Uh, it's it's a really good film. Actually, I was surprised that it was 10 years old. Yeah, I honestly thought that came out uh, only a few years ago
1: decade that's uh
0: quite impressive yeah exactly well that's it for anniversaries and speaking of a few years ago i guess it's time to uh, invite our guest into the room uh, a couple of years ago i got to know an actor by the name of tommy hinckley whose career has been running many years since making his first tv appearance in the short-lived tv series hard knocks along with bill mayer Uh, as well as his first movie role in the comedy movie Back to the Beach. Now, I recognise Tommy uh, mainly from his role in Emilio Estevez's cult comedy Men at Work, where he played Jeff, one of two bicycle cops, tormenting Charlie Sheen and Emilio through the course of the movie. Now, looking over Tommy's impressive resume of roles on TV and movies and getting to know the man myself opened up so many talks about such great movies, like the school football screwball comedy Leatherheads, the iconic L.A. lifestyle of Steve Martin's L.A. story, the bridge at the Enterprise on Star Trek Generations, and such classic shows as China Beach, E.R., Night Court, list goes on and on. As well as an established actor, he's also been a teacher of theatre arts for children in Boulder, Colorado. Today, he joins us from Colorado to reminisce about some memorable points of his career and tell us some stories along the way. Good morning, Tommy. How are the mountains?
3: <laughs> uh the mountains are pretty good, uh, but we did leave Boulder. We are in Boise.
0: Well, how's oh. Boise and how are the mountains? <laughs> how are those mountains in Boise?
3: Uh, they're, actually, uh, they're actually really beautiful. And uh, we're right by a lake. And, uh, and it, it pretty, it's, it's really relaxing out here in, in, in Boise. Oh,
0: sounds absolutely idyllic. I, I bet yeah, he's sat by a window right now overlooking a lake squirrels and mooses on his yard we're here in this horrible uk climate seeing crime drive by shootings and dead squirrels and tory
3: politicians
0: and tory politicians yes.
3: <laughs> well we do have the we do have the dead squirrels here in boise um, but we also have a beaver i've seen i've seen beaver in the uh, in the lake out uh, up by the house
0: I'm not even going there with that joke, Steve. I know what you were leading me into. I am not doing that joke.
3: I anyway. teed it up!
0: <laughs> I don't need to. Steve would have laughed before I even said anything. I already anything. am. I already <laughs> am. As soon as you said the word beaver, I was off.
1: <laughs> uh. Anyway, hey, t- we're a serious show about movies. Let's get our heads
0: on.
3: Yes. <laughs> Okay, we'll see.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Tommy, first of all, I want to thank you for coming and joining us this week. It's always a pleasure talking with you. And I have to say, after doing my research this week, you know, every once in a while, I see something that kind of really blows my mind. And this kind of happened this week when I read that, as I mentioned, your career started with, it was kind of a buddy cop TV show where you were partnered with Bill Mayer, you know, of real time with Bill Mayer, and it was called Hard Knocks. And this... I, just reading the kind of read-up on the show, it sounds totally nuts, but it can't be found anywhere. How how did this show come around?
3: I don't know the uh, the genesis of it, um, but um, uh, I knew Bill. Uh, I, I was I, when I was studying theater in New York from eighty-two to eighty-six. Uh, one of my jobs was I was a doorman at maybe the most popular comedy club in New York at the time, Catch a Rising Star. I was a doorman there. And so I knew all the comedians, and they all came in there. You know, whether it was Sam Kennison um, or Robin Williams, you know, Richard Belzer, um, you know, Roddy Dangerfield had his own club down the street, but he would come up to catch writing, start to try out his new material, and uh, and he would show up in, uh, in 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 a robe, which was hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I had just moved to L.A. and I had never. Never been on television. I, I'd never had an agent. I'd, I'd never been on camera before, and I had just moved to LA. I was there for two weeks, sleeping on a friend's couch in Silver Lake. And they're and one night they're like, "Hey, we're gonna take you to our to your first Hollywood party," and like I'm all pumped. So <laughs> they drive us into West Hollywood, and we're going to this this, this, this Hollywood party, and I'm all pumped. I'm looking good. And it's like, you know, nine o'clock and it's like nine 9 45. And they're like, man, this party's dead. We're going to go home. And I'm like, wait, it's only like nine 45, 10 o'clock. I mean, parties in New York don't start till, you know, like midnight. And they go, Tommy, (laughs) this isn't New York. This party's not happening. And I went, uh, well, I'll tell you what you guys go home. I'll get a ride home. They go, Tommy, I go, you look at, you know me, I'll get a ride. So they go, I'm staying at this party. That's going to happen. And, it's 11 o'clock, it's 11.30, it's midnight, this party is not happening. And I'm just kind of there hanging out by myself, looking around, and I feel like an idiot. So I'm like, okay, I am an idiot, and now I've got to walk home, probably a three-hour walk to Silver Lake, and uh, it's midnight. So I start walking, and just after like maybe five, six, seven blocks, I see the improv, the comedy club. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to know a bunch of comedians in there. Someone will give me a ride home walk in the front door and the first person I see is a writer comedian named, and a friend named Ron Zimmerman. And he's like, Hey, Tommy. I go, Oh, Hey Ron. He's like, well, you're an actor, right? I go, yeah. He goes, well, are you, are you here on vacation or did you move here? I go, I, I moved here. He goes, well, look at, you know, Bill Maher, right? I go, yeah, I know Bill Maher. And he goes, well, I'm a writer on his new show. It's a pilot called hard knocks. I'm like, oh well that's great great congratulations he's like well we can't find anybody to play his partner Bill plays like the long haired uh super intelligent uh, detective who hates violence and we need someone to play the short haired dumb guy who loves <laughs> violence <laughs> that could be you <laughs> I'm in <laughs> uh, I'm in boy you nailed me uh <laughs> And so I tell him, I go, Oh, um, you know what? Uh, that's okay. Uh, I have never, I've never done anything. I don't want to embarrass you. I mean, you're talking about the, you know, a, a lead in the show with Bill and he goes, please Tommy, come in. I go, really? I don't want to embarrass you. I've never done anything before. He goes, please Tommy. me we've seen over 200 actors. Please wow. do me a favor. Please come in for this show. I'm like, <laughs> you're, you're begging me to come in. I'm like, I'm an idiot again. So, uh, so I go okay, I'll come in. So he sets it up for a few days later. So I I take a bus to Paramount Studios, and I go to the you know the the, the office that they said the executive's office. There's a bench out in front. Um, I'm waiting my turn. I fall asleep on the bench, and the cast director comes out and goes, "Oh Tommy," I go, mean, "Oh oh hi." They go, uh, "Were you just asleep?" I go, "Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm fine." They go, "Really? You want to take some time?" I go, "No, I'm ready. Just I'll, I'll come in." So I go in and it goes well. And, uh, you know, there's a line where, you know, there's a line where my character says earthquake. And I'm in this executive's office. And, of course, he has these huge fake plants. And so I just grab one of the plants. I'm shaking the shit out of it like earthquake. (laughs) And they're all looking like, oh, my God, what the hell is happening here? So I think it goes well. So I leave. They say, thank you very much. And I'm headed across this great lawn to the bus to get back on the bus. And the cash director comes running out. It's like, hey, Tommy, Tommy, come back. I'm like, oh, is, is everything okay? They go, yeah, they want to sign you to a test option deal. I go, a what? They go, a, a test option deal? They go, I go, yeah, I don't know what that is. They go, oh, okay, well, who's your agent? I go, uh, I, I don't have an agent. They go, wait, what? I go, no, I've never done anything before. They go, oh, my God. Okay, well, I have a friend that's an agent, let him negotiate your uh, your deal, and then if you like him, you can stay with him. And then next thing I know, I'm the lead on a series with Bill Maher in my first audition. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Is that how it works? <laughs> anyway, so yeah. And that's how Hard Knocks came around. We only did 13 episodes, and it was kind of a drag because it was Peter Tier- Tiernan, uh, who's huge now, and I think it was uh, somebody, Sobel, and they were the two heads of Showtime at the time. And this was their baby. And uh, a month before the, the, you know, the decision to be made, whether to pick up the show or not, uh, one of the two guys leaves. I think it was Peter leaves. And then two weeks before the decision, the other guy left. So now the two guys that came in, they had no, they had no stake in the show. I mean, in the fourth episode, we blew up the world. We ended the world in the fourth episode. So it was a very broad comedy. And they just, you know, that's why it was short-lived because it was actually a really good show. But yeah, nobody, nobody can see it. Good luck. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, well, around the same time frame, yeah, you land your first movie role being in Back to the Beach. Now, straight away, you're working with a female director, one of the few doing movies around this time, uh, Lyndall Hobbs, uh, who was also the director of Saturday Night Live. Now, I've, uh, I've heard that if the pitch for Hard Knocks was nuts, uh, this was something else. How did you land this movie?
3: Okay, so uh, the writer, the creator of Hard Knocks was Chris Thompson. May he rest in pieces. He's not with us anymore. Yeah. Um, but um, his, uh, he also created Bosom Buddies, by the way, which was the Tom Hanks. Yes. God,
0: uh, oh, yeah. that is going back.
3: Yeah, so this is so this was one of his uh, latest shows, and his wife, Lyndall Hobbs, was doing uh, Back to the Beach, directing Back to the Beach, and Chris was one of the uh, uh, rewriters on, uh, on Back to the Beach. So they brought me in for the role of the best friend, Mountain, and uh, and this was just my second audition, and I get the role, and I'm like, wow, I guess if you got it, you got it. <laughs> Again, I, don't, I don't know anything. Uh, so I get the role and then like two weeks go by and the producer calls me up and says, Hey, uh, Tommy, uh, the, the part of mountain is yours and, and, and we love you as mountain, but you know what? We can't find anybody to play the lead. Would you mind auditioning for the role? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. And I get the part. And so now it's me and Lori Lachlan, and, and, uh, and Frankie have a lot of nephew and And, uh, and it was, uh, and it was, it, yeah, so it, it, it took off. But again, this was everybody that I grew up with watching on television, you know, because I grew up watching 60s and 70s television. And all of a sudden, I'm working with Get Smart. I'm working with the people from Leave it to Beaver and Gilligan's Island. And Connie Stevens is my mom. I mean, this is this is amazing. And so I was having the time of my life. Um, but you know, looking back on it, it was also a loss of innocence because I remember I had my own apartment by this time in Silver Lake. And I remember one day I was just on my bed on my back, looking up at the ceiling and I was just started crying because all of a sudden it was like, um, this is not about my love or passion for acting. Um, this now is a job and it is and that reality of this is how I make money it's not about uh again it's, it's not about the the love or the passion to, to me that that's what that was like for me and i remember one day early on in the shooting um they had to get a shot Lyndall needed a shot and they had like in the first day he's like we got to go we're, we're we, we got to break for lunch she's like no we we got to get this one shot she goes Tommy, me i just need you to pick up the surfboard and you just walk from the bed to the bathroom uh, how many, he goes, we got like 60 seconds. Cause Tommy just do it. I go, well, I mean, I, I just let this, let me rehearse it once. Let me just, you know, what side am I going to carry the surfboard on my right or my left? Am I going to, am I going to walk funny? Am I going to, you know, what am I going to do? He goes, Tommy just do it. I go, Linda, I don't want Tommy, do it now. And I just did it. And then everybody broke for lunch right away. And then I just stayed in the bathroom there and I just was crying. And I'm just like, wow, that was my first acting experience in my life like that and again it was just that you know now we had a great relationship and we're still friends and the, and the shoot was so fun it was just that one thing but um yeah but that was that that was a that was a tough you know moment in in, in a really great ride but just me- memorable nonetheless
0: yeah I mean that, that's not the kind of story that you generally hear a lot of people talk about you know a lot of people work so hard to just land in in these positions and They've got this idea that it's going to be fantastic in, you know, being a a lead in a movie. But you kind of lose something very pure along Mm. the way, you know, which I I think you're probably the first person I've ever heard uh, really address that. And I think Uh it's it's a big warning for a lot of these young actors and that now who are just starting out, who absolutely love the work, uh, that there is that kind of transference over when it does become a career. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a very uh, a very wise story to tell. But another little funny anecdote here that I got is uh, you appeared in a a, a few low budget horror movies. Uh, One, especially called "The Terror Within," yes, which which was released the same year as the similar in plot movie "Watches," released by Roger Corman. Yeah, and the funny part here is that. Whilst the Terror Within got a sequel in 1991, you jumped over to the sequel to Watchers in the same (laughs) year.
3: (laughs) I I did, Um, because it was the same director. He was a Swiss director uh, named Terry Knotts, and he directed uh, the first Terror Within, and then he directed Watchers 2 with Tracy uh, uh, Scoggins. And I just played a lab assistant, and that was a small role, and I, I... uh, I think I even forgot that I had done it until I saw it on my resume a couple years later or something like that. I was like, oh, oh I forgot I did Watchers 2. Um, which With I don't Mark know Singer. how. Mark I, Singer. Uh, see, I, I, didn't, I didn't meet him because I don't think he was in my uh, scene or two. Uh, I do remember Tracy Scoggins because, you know, she was hot. <laughs> um,
0: Shit, she was in the day. She was, blizzard. Uh,
3: uh, but again, you know, and here it is. This was kind of my life in acting was here. So so here I am in the terror within with a really fun supporting role of the tech um, and the computer kid, um, but working with George Kennedy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And he was, he was very old at that time. And of course, um, but he was really very uh, just loving and supporting. And just, you could just tell he's just a, a solid rock. of of a human being so it was a real pleasure to work with him
0: a few months back we did a show with mark marshall on and we did it the day after we lost richard donner who was a truly great director and he's really irreplaceable in this Mm -hmm. business and uh everyone seems to have a dick donner story and just the other day we were me and you were talking about you appearing in lethal weapon 2 uh which you have your own dick donner story to share with us
3: yeah so um uh a dear friend of mine uh, an actor that's been around for a long time i think one of his more recent jobs was uh, homeland uh david marciano uh so he was uh, a dear friend of mine for many years and i was going to this audition to play one of the cops one of the detectives on lethal weapon 2 and uh i was on, i was on the warner brothers lot and I, i'm walking down this uh this this pathway to the office and i see him on the steps And his, his, with his, you know, his head between his legs. And he's just, he he just looks like he's in a bad place. And so there was a thing that we would always do at parties when we would run into each other around town. I'd go, Aldo, and he would go, Aldo. And so I see him and I go, Aldo. And he doesn't give it back. And I'm like, Aldo. And he just shakes his head, doesn't even look at me. And I'm like, Aldo, Aldo. And he's like, Tommy, I don't, I can't, I just, I'm in a bad place right now. I can't, I can't go in. I'm like, Wait, what, what are you talking about? And he's just like, I, I'm, have, I'm not having a good day. I can't go in. I go, you know what? Let's you and I go in together. Let's, let's go in together. And so we, we talked to, I think it was Marion Doherty, I think. And, uh, and she's like, um, well, let me ask. And so she went in, I guess she talked to, 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 to Richard Donner, uh, Dick Donner. And, uh, we, uh, and he said, yeah, bring him in. So we go in, and all of a sudden, we're like, we're tag-teaming uh, Richard Donner. And we start calling him Dick. We're like, hey, Dick. And I am like, oh, my God, Dick, you brought your dog to work? And he was, we can't call that a dog. That's more of a pet. I mean, that thing's tiny. Like, you could dust a, a table with that thing. And we're just riffing. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my God, who are these guys? And he's like, okay, I, I don't, I don't know if I – if I have a part for you guys as a tandem, but I'm going to find something for you guys. Uh, I just love you guys. And so we go off and they start shooting and we're not getting any phone calls Our agents call and they go, Oh yeah, Dick loves them. So have them, uh, have them come down to the set. So we go down to the set at Warner brothers or on a soundstage and he's upstairs shooting a scene. And I guess in, 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 uh Danny Glover's bedroom or something. And he comes down and, we have improv the scene that we put into the movie and uh that that david wrote and uh so we come down and we're going to pitch it to 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 richard donner and he goes okay so we think he's going to take us into like a, his office or something and we'll just do this and he goes all right hey everybody gather around we're like wait what <laughs> All the, writers, the crew's coming around he's like okay boys so what do you got and we're like um so we just do it and we do this we improv this scene of these bonehead cops that show up late. So, like, you know, when there's a the crime scene and then everybody's you know pulling out and they're leaving and it's all over, we come up like, hey everybody, hey, where's everybody going? And we do this whole thing. They're all laughing, the crew's laughing, Richard Donner's laughing, he's like, Oh my god, okay. And he turns to to, to one of the writers and he goes, put them in this movie. Find a spot for them. I want them in the movie. And we're like, Okay, great. So a couple of times so some t- more time goes by. We're not getting any phone calls. We call up, the agents call, and they go, Okay, uh, we just heard back. Show up on the set in like three days. And so we're downtown, we're at this, you know, police station. And he's like, Okay, you guys come onto the set, we're uh, we're rehearsing this this scene. We watch him rehearse this scene that's that's got, you know, Danny and, and uh and Mel, and and then he looks at us and he goes, Okay. Are you guys you got 45 minutes to light it and then we'll come back and we'll shoot it and he turns dusty he goes all right boys you got 45 minutes to put yourself in this scene and then he walks off like, what? <laughs> so there was a thanksgiving storyline in lethal weapon 2. so somebody had one of the extras had like a, a live turkey that uh that they were walking on a leash or something like that and so we came up with this idea that hey um we're going to do a wrap so uh, I'm holding the turkey oh and David's got these tickets and he's selling these tickets and we come up with this rap uh, <laughs> take a chance on a turkey that's on uh, live dig in your pocket and give us five <laughs> we do this whole rap thing he's like oh my god that's genius so he films it and we just we, we tack it to the end of the scene and it's great and it's really funny the crews laughing so and then we have this little scene where in the beginning of the movie, um, there's a chase scene and Danny's in his wife's uh, in his wife's station wagon or something. And we're all lifting to it at the police station and uh, <laughs> over the scanner. And then we're taking bets.
2: Yes, that was our other yep. little scene.
3: Yes. So and I have one line in that. Um, so we're waiting and the movie comes out. And we're not in it. Except for that one little scene place in the bets. And we find out that they were like twenty minutes over, and instead of you know, t- I mean, a couple minutes here, a couple minutes here, uh, they just dropped the Thanksgiving storyline. So they dropped uh, the the wrap, and I'm like, oh my god, that was the best scene ever, oh. ever. <laughs> that actually
1: rings a bell now because there's that there's a deleted ending scene where With Patsy Kenzi, yeah, yeah, she comes back no. alive. That makes sense now.
3: So that was. So, so I was, but the thing was, is that what, what, one thing my, my wife loves about Lethal Weapon 2 is that we made, I think, $1,500 for the two days that we were there. We were there for two days because we had to come back and shoot the other scene. And uh, for two days, for $1,500 for two days, and in residuals, we probably made like, you know, 30 grand <laughs> <In residuals laughs> over the course of 20 years. Now, of course, those residuals now are like a penny. Or, you know, a, a nickel or something, but yeah. Anyway, so that was, that, that was the, and the thing is, is that Richard Donner, I ran into him at a restaurant and I was like, uh, Hey Richard, it's Tommy Hickley. He goes, I know who you are. And he goes, you guys were awesome. You guys were fantastic. And please tell me if you ever see that I'm doing another movie, will you let me know? And I'll, I'll find a spot for you. And I'm like, that's the kind of guy he was. Of course I never did that. Um, but, um, Yeah. He was, he was, he was a great guy. And I loved his wife's movie, uh, Lauren, uh, Radio Flyer.
2: Oh yeah. That's a great
3: movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I told, I told him that and he goes, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I will let her know that you said that. And, uh, yeah, he was, he, he, he was a great man and a a real pleasure to work with. And I'm lucky that I, I have that story to tell.
1: Well, uh, just for you, I'm going to go and uh, watch Lethal Weapon 2 a few times on Netflix. (laughs) I'll get you you a few more dollars. Um, But uh, uh, simultaneous uh, with you scoring all these movie roles and really starting to build a steady career in television, you appeared in China Beach. Uh, It's a favorite of yours, Andy. Yes. I know that. Um, So how was the balance then between movies and TV? And did you find yourself jumping sets a lot as uh, 1990 was a big breakout year for you?
3: Yeah. 90 was a good year. Um, you know, that was another one. Uh, yeah. China beach was, was fun because, uh, Don Cheadle, uh, was in that episode that I did and I played like the racist guy. And so we had, uh, you know, we had a little thing, Don Cheadle and I, uh, I don't remember a lot about it except that, you know, we had a thing and, and, uh, and we did it and it was awesome. Um, that was also the year, I believe, I did uh, uh, a movie with Gregory Harrison and uh, Terrence Knox uh, from Tour of Duty. Yeah, and, my other yeah, favorite and, and it was called, uh, shoot, what was it called? Oh, I, I just forgot what it was. But anyway, Ray Walston, my favorite Martian, was in it. And oh. I and my char- my character kills him. You killed Paul Walton. I, 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 killed, Walton. I, I killed my favorite Martian, Ray Walston. <laughs> I killed him. Yeah. Yeah, so that was fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the thing was is that, you know, I got to work on so many things with a lot of people that I grew up watching on television. I mean, I, I did in, in 87. Uh, you know, speaking of David Rashi, by the way, uh, we won an Academy Award together, David Rashi and I. Really? What about that? Yes, we won for uh, best Live Action short uh, called Ray's Male Heterosexual Dancehall," And um, oh, no. yeah, yeah. Uh, and I played the guy that invented, uh, I guess, I think the Frisbee and coined the phrase "Have a nice day." So that was that was my character. But also, uh, it was you know, maybe that was 1990 as well was Earth Angel with, uh, with Mark Hamill, and who was great. And uh, Cindy Williams from Happy Days of Vernon Shirley, I played her boyfriend, mm-hmm. Eric Estrada, uh, Roddy McDowell. Um, That's and, just a uh, who's Kat- who. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Mark Hamill was great. You know, uh, when I was doing uh, Hard Knocks, it was after we'd already been on the air um, or we were currently on the air. But I was already done shooting it. I went to this charity event that was at the Sugar event. Uh, they set the Sugar Shack uh, in West Hollywood on Pico. And I look over and there's Mark Hamill. And I'm like, holy shit, it's Mark Hamill. And I got to go introduce myself. So I get up and I walk to him. And as I'm putting my hand out, I'm about to open my mouth and introduce myself. He goes, Nick Bronco, I know who you are. My son and I love your show, Hard Knocks. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, dude! <laughs> uh, anyway, so that that's Mark Hamill. So we and we chat. We we caught up a bit on uh, on uh, on Earth Angel, and because he loves and was collecting comics as I was, and so we were talking about comics and stuff like that. But you know, he's such a great actor, and that was a very, you know, that was a, a kind of an underrated TV movie. Um, earth angel with Kathy Podwell in the lead role, but it was, he was so good in that. Um, but he's always good. Yeah. So, you know, and then, you know, and there was another thing I did in 87, uh, called Dr. Paradise where Sally Kellerman played my mom from mash and, uh, and, and Frank Langella played my uncle, um, Skeletor himself. himself. Oh Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so I've been so like Xander Berkeley was in that Hiram Kafton. I mean, there were so many good actors, uh, in that. And we only did the one episode. That was one that CBS thought was going to get picked up and we didn't. Um, but, um, yeah, most of the series I did, um, were short lived. They always did like between, you know, just the pilot or they did 13 episodes. And, and that was just, you know, my luck. Um, the only one that, that went, uh, I didn't go with it, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, but anyway, yeah, it, 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 it was it, it's been a good ride for sure.
0: Well, naturally, uh, this all kind of leads in 1990. It leads to Emilio Estevez's cult movie, Men at Work. I've, I've never met a person yes. who does not love this movie. It is a guilty pleasure at its finest. Yeah, and as I mentioned before, you play the role of Bicycle Cop Jeff, a new partner yes. to sadistic bully Mike, who was played by John Putch. Uh, these two characters were just the perfect counterparts towards Charlie and
3: Emilio's characters. Uh, was this an audition job? Yes, uh, it was an audition job. And uh, John Potts, it was funny that that he got the other role as well because we were we were friends already, uh, and we played basketball at the Hollywood Y, which is where I made a lot of my friends. And John Potts, you know, he was Gene Stapleton's son, uh, you know, from uh, from All in the Family. Oh yeah. Uh, Archie Bunker. Um, uh, that was fun because um, in uh, we were shooting the first scene and I went to Emilio and we're, we're rehearsing it and I had a line or two. And I had a line or two in every scene. Uh, the, they were predominantly, John Putch had the, was kind of like more of the lead cop and I just always had a line or two in the scene, in all the scenes as well. And I just went and I just was thinking about it and I said to Emilio and John, I said, you know what? What if my character just never said anything? What if my character just really had it in for the boys? I mean, like, like he was just, it was his life was to get these guys. And if he could, he would just physically just put them in the, in, in the, in the dirt. And what if he was just always just like in Charlie's face, just staring him down. And, and he go, and Charlie immediately goes, wait, you want to give up your lines you want to give up your i've never heard an actor say he wants to give up his lines to no lines i go i know it's it's but i just think it'd be more powerful i think it'd be more interesting if that was jeff if he was just always you know there and he goes okay let's do it and john goes yeah that, that, that would actually be funny and so that's how that part of it came about but we had so much fun, like you know, do, do, doing the slides, getting into the stop. That was all us, you know, using the hand signals when we when we turn the bike. That was all us, and and he was he was just that was the thing about Amelia was uh, he carries himself so well, and his self esteem is so like for example, um, we were getting ready to shoot a scene, and we were on a little bit of a break, and then Amelia walked up to us, and he said, "Hey guys." Um, you know, I wrote this, of course, but I have this scene coming up that we're going to shoot later. And I wrote it, and it's funny, but I can't – I'm having a hard time making it funny in rehearsals. Can you guys help me out? And we're like, yeah, of course. And so we, you know, read the scene with him, and we helped him, you know, make it funny. And he's like, oh, my God, that's great, of course. Okay, thank you, guys. But that that's his confidence. Yeah. You know, he doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. And he was just such a pleasure – really, to work with.
1: So was the chemistry there with John Putcher right from the beginning?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, because we played basketball together. We were we were already friends. One story
0: that I've heard uh, from, uh, obviously, my friends there in the family is that Charlie played a prank on Emilio by telling them that he'd punched a paparazzi in a restaurant the night before. Do you remember this story? No, I don't.
3: No, okay, tell I'll, me this
0: story. I'll, I'll tell this story. So, yes... Um, Charlie decided it would be hilarious that he would go up to Emilio and, on a day of shooting and basically tell a little white lie that, oh, I've, I've punched a paparazzi while I was out on a restaurant last night. But Charlie apparently went a bit further than that in that he actually hired two guys in police uniform to come and arrest him mid-scene while they were filming. So, naturally, they're in the middle of shooting a scene. Then these two officers show up, come and get Charlie, handcuffing and taking away. Emilio is there like, what, 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 what's going on? You know, this is, you know, we can, let's let's figure this out. Hang on a minute. And the police drive Charlie away. These two guys drive Charlie away. And everyone's there like, oh, my God, what's happening? And the only reason they knew it was a joke, because then Charlie came back with the two officers laughing his head off. (laughs) <laughs> but they actually had him fooled for the entire time, and, and, and I mean, they oh really believed his brother was getting arrested.
3: Oh my god, that is that is genius! That is a genius prank. Wow. Yeah,
0: I, I always wondered if you'd heard about that.
3: Yeah, no, I haven't. <laughs> I, I'm actually surprised I haven't heard that. That's a great story.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, one shot in Men at Work involves John butcher's bicycle falling over mid scene. Now, uh, was that a happy accident yeah. that made it into the movie, or was it set up?
3: It was set up.
0: I was so hoping that wasn't.
3: Yeah, no, that was, again, that was just one of our ideas of John and I. Uh, we were always just trying to come up with, with, with weird stuff for these guys. And we actually I remember having a string on the bike. To, uh, to pull it over uh, <laughs> yeah that would be awesome if that was an accident uh, it's
0: because of the way it instantly cuts as soon as it happens it cuts to a close-up of the both of you looking at each yes, other and yes. i thought that's got to be a mistake that they've just said let's go with it and just do a quick shot
2: but yeah obviously
0: just adding on to that this is also a scene later on with uh, the guy who was playing the dead body yeah. and uh you guys are basically Yes, you guys are accosting him. While uh, Keith David is basically working the arm to make it look like he's uh, alive. And uh, it, it looked like such a hilarious scene. I can imagine that was not a one-taker, right?
3: No, that was not a one-taker. <laughs> uh that that was that was at night, right? The scene at night. Uh I think it was th- at night we pulled a him day. over. A day. No. Uh I'm uh, sure so it was on day them, when like, they
0: were actually doing the garbage round and found his body. And they just placed oh, this right. cowboy hat they found in the trash on top of his head.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. You know, there were so many wonderful actors in that. Uh, Daryl Larson, you know, uh, uh, David Keith. Um, and uh, wait, Keith David, Keith David,
0: Keith David. Uh, <laughs> he's the first- oh, he's not the only person who's got that name, name mix around. <laughs>
3: they're two not, different actors uh, yeah.
0: with the same completely different names. actors
3: yeah so that was fun and uh and then dean cameron from you know he did back to the school and i think uh, better off dead he was been her summer school uh he was he was a wonderful actor yeah they just surrounded themselves with really good actors leslie hope was the woman the redhead in that and she was great um yeah that was just a, a really fun movie um do we talk about the end the ending
0: Yes, that's actually my next question. Yeah, you, you know we're past spoiler territory. <laughs> yeah. So, so how did they approach?
2: <laughs>
0: so, how did they approach you and John about the infamous roundabout scene?
3: I can't believe I filmed. For... I did that twice. I'm so sorry, guys. Anyway, so listen. Yes. Yes. So it was hilarious. I mean, I, I, there, were, there was like talk. I had a mustache that I grew. And, but there was talk between John and I. And who's wearing boxers? Who's wearing briefs? Who's on the top? Who's on the bottom? We're just like, <laughs> oh, my God. Nobody, you know, no, nobody should really be privy to this conversation. I'm glad it wasn't recorded. Um, well, it actually probably was. That would be horrible. Anyway, um, so they film the scene and they lock us on there. And that's where you leave us. So... So, uh, you know, they, they finished filming and then, you know, like maybe a, a month goes by, maybe even two. And I get a phone call and they go, hey, uh, everybody loves you guys. Uh, we want to film a, a, a tag scene uh, of you guys. Uh, do, is is there anything changed about you guys? And we're like, uh, I'm like, no, no, no. I, I, you, know, you have to call John. Uh, yeah, we did already. Uh, and so we go to shoot this scene. And, uh, and it's the next morning. And, uh, and the sun's coming up, and we're, uh, we're in the makeup trailer. And they go, Oh my God, Tommy, where's your mustache? I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot. I shaved my mustache. So they had like, you know, half an hour to cut hair off the back of my head <laughs> and glue it and glue it on my lip to create this mustache. And if you look at it, they did an amazing job considering that they had to glue my own hair onto this, onto my lip to make this, to recreate the mustache. Um, and then they had the dog, you know, come and uh, piss on us. Not really, but, uh, you know, it, 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 the way they shot it, it looks like he's pissing on us and, uh, it was actually really funny, but, uh, yeah, that was that was really good times. Men at Work, man, the, and see, nobody, nobody, not, nobody knows it. I think as Men at Work as they know it as the Garbage Man movie. Oh, you know the Garbage yeah. Man movie? Oh yeah, the one with Emilio yeah. and Charlie. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: at least you can pull off a mustache. I will say this: I I can't. <laughs> I look good with a beard. If I've just got a mustache, I look like some kind of registered sex offender. It's horrible.
3: <laughs> well, well, you know, look at Steve. You are really you're doing yourself a disservice because I. Maybe the big bushy porn stash would not look good on you, but the pencil thin looks great on you, man. I've seen it. I've seen a picture of you with the more of the pencil thin. Very, very striking. Very becoming.
1: Yes, that would be one of the ones which Andy's doctored. Anyway. Um... <laughs> so... <laughs> true it's true, nice. it's, true. It there, is. Are, there are many that we can't even show uh but around anyway, <laughs> about this time you were mixing comedy roles with horror roles uh yes. leading to a role in steve martin's now legendary comedy attack on the la lifestyle la story now it's a movie that yep. doesn't get discussed as much as it should do really so yep. how did you land the role there
3: uh yeah that was again an audition for mindy Marin. Uh, who had had me in for a bunch of other stuff as well. Uh, I got the role, and um, and it was funny because uh, at that famous uh, lunch table scene, there you know, and they had some scenes that were that that were cut out, of course. Um, but one of them was is there's an earthquake that takes place, and the famous Angeline, yeah. you know, and all the billboards in L.A. Mm-hmm. and then and the big, and the very, very big boobs. Um, they have her eating lunch there during the earthquake, so you can only imagine what that was. Oh, uh, <laughs> <I wish laughs> she left someone's that, eye out. Yeah, so but that didn't make the final cut in, in, in the movie. Um, but that was there. It was shot, so it's somewhere. Um, but in that thing, uh, they had so many great comedic actors. I mean, it was Steve Martin, of course. And, um, and you know, sitting next to me was Amon, uh, David Bowie's wife and supermodel. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, but you also had Larry Miller and, um, and Pollock and uh, Sam McMurray from the Tracy Ullman show was great. And there were just so many, uh, comedic actors at that table. And at one point we finished shooting the scene and then, uh, the director Jackson comes over and he says, okay, listen, we have it. Um, let's just have you guys just all improv. You're all so funny. Just, just improv, just do some stuff. And I'm like, And I just felt like all of a sudden, all the pressure. And I'm just like, wow, these guys are like professional comedians. And I went, you know what? You're the one that stands out. These are all super cool people that are dressed cool, look cool. And you're the cop in your, in your street blues. And so play that up, play up the, you're the sore thumb sticking out like a sore thumb here. And I just played that up. And then that, you know, it, it worked for the scene. I also love that when they do the thing where they do the camera shot that comes around and they take all the orders for coffee and which was the joke at the time, because that now it's like a double frappuccino with the caramel macchiato, you know, cherry on top thing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, I do the camera comes to me and then I order the double cappuccino ice cream. And I loved it because the camera was coming around um, from right to left and it's coming around so i look and i order looking over my left shoulder but then i turn over my right shoulder to go like oh hey did you get my order and i'm like there we go i got a little extra screen time with the this is my order and then turning over my road did, did you get that and i was like "Ah, oh, a, a proud little moment for me <laughs> 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 i got a little extra screen time uh, but there was something that i did and we were getting ready to walk out. Steve Martin and I and We were ready for the shot and we're face to face, uh, getting ready to shoot the shot. I don't remember what the shot was, but we were, we were face to face getting ready to, to, to agree green to say action. And, uh, and he just, and he, without even looking at me, he's just like right in front of me. And he just says, uh, I saw the dailies from yesterday. Uh, great job. Really funny. And I'm like, wow. Thank you. That's cool. And I was just, you know, I was just like, thank you. And that was it. I'm like, that was cool that was cool steve martin wildly crazy guy you know yeah
0: that's amazing well of course la story also featured two captains of the enterprise in patrick stewart and scott pakula were in that movie you know where i'm going
2: i know where you're going Uh,
0: (laughs) this this would not be the only time you have a run-in with a captain of the enterprise right brace your gurgles people
3: Oh my god. Okay. He,
0: he so thought I wasn't gonna raise this story, but damn right <laughs> I
3: was. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you did. So again, hey, uh talking about a callback working with my buddy John Putch again. Yeah. Uh, John Putsch played the uh, the twenty uh the twenty first century uh, cameraman and I was the reporter. And uh and by the way, I'm on two trading cards. How about oh. that? I'm on well, two wow. Star Trek trading cards, yeah. This is for uh, Star Trek
0: Generations, of course, I'll mention. Yeah,
3: that. Star Trek Generations. And by the way, that was the, that was the first movie that combined the old cast and the new cast. So that was pretty yeah. cool. And again, you know, that was my dad's favorite television show growing up was the original Star Trek. And going to football, basketball, or baseball practice, if I, I had to get my dad, um, I had to remember to get him to take me to practice so he could and get back in time for, before it started. Because if it had started, he was not leaving the set, and I would just have to be late. That's how important <laughs> Star Trek was to him. So this was a big deal to be working with these people from uh, from the original Star Trek. And by the way, lovely people. They're all so cool. Except the one guy. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not afraid to, to call him out. But, so we're on we're on the start, we're on the enterprise, right? And what was cool about this is that they do it the old school way. So the whole thing is built on hydraulics. So they move the hydraulics when the, when the the ship's under attack. And then you're also supposed to then, you know, do your, do your weird dance move, Like, you know, Oh my God, we're going to die. (laughs) You know, the whole thing. And you're moving your body back and forth. And, you know, you're trying to keep yourself, you know, uh, you know, standing up and not falling down and, Before we shoot this, the first AD comes out and says, all right, just a reminder to everybody, the railing, it's just wood and it's not very well supported, so please don't throw your weight on it, all right? Does everybody understand that? I'm going to say it one more time because it's important. Okay, it's just made out of cheap wood. Uh, It's just painted to look like metal. It's not really and it's not well supported, so don't put any weight on it, okay? All right, we're shooting in five, so... We could go to shoot the scene. I'm on the, I'm right below the railing. John Putch and I are sitting right below the railing. And up above us is Captain Kirk. And they start shaking it. And he throws himself. <laughs> his big body throws himself on the railing. And the railing, of course, gives away. And where does he fall? He falls on me. He falls <laughs> on my back. I actually break Captain Kirk's fall. And he comes then off me and then rolls onto the ground and pops up and everyone's like, oh! and everybody just stops and there's dead silence and he pops up and then everyone's like, woo! everybody's applauding. And I'm in, I'm in this crumpled mess this crumpled <laughs> mass on the ground because this huge dude just threw himself like virtually on me with the railing, the wood railing. And I'm, I'm like, Oh my, and nobody's asking me if I'm okay. He doesn't turn around and go, dude, I'm sorry. Wow. I can't believe I did that. Are you okay? No. He just goes on and you know he's you know, taking bows and walks off the set. And everybody follows him. And then they're going to take a little break. And everyone's walking off. And I'm still in a crumpled mess going, hey, is anybody going to ask me if I'm okay? Not one person.
1: I, could, all, I could, all I could just picture him is just looking like Zach Brannigan from futurama just the girdle bursting and like the hairpiece flapping to one side <laughs> and and then and then just kind of like springing up
3: getting ready yeah. to
1: karate jump someone
3: yeah uh i did uh i saw a chiropractor for six months after that my back was so bad oh wow uh Jeez. yeah but i didn't i didn't you know i didn't say anything to anybody it was all good you know moving on but i was just surprised <laughs> that you know no one was like here you okay yeah, no. no, no, just moving on. You're an actor. Well, you at know. least you're
0: the, you're the guy who saved Captain Kirk, put it that By way. By
3: the way, yes. I mean, he could be <laughs> in a wheelchair today, for all, all we know.
0: There's got to be a Star Trek wiki out there somewhere the that, has, that has Tommy Hinckley as reporter in a little asterisk, saved Captain Kirk.
3: <laughs> yeah, there. you know what? There should be. Thank you. Thank you for tabling that. <laughs> yes. Uh, I know what you're doing after the, the show.
1: <laughs> if no one else is writing it, write it yourself.
3: That's right, Tommy Hinckley, Wikipedia. <laughs> well, just
1: prior to your uh captain saving abilities, uh you had a major role in the series, Mad About You as Jay Selby, the best friend to Paul Reiser in the show. Uh this was short lived even though the series went on for eight seasons, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah well, that's not done yeah that's our question yeah it's not even a question i'm not even the one that writes these it's you
0: <laughs> see um, i write it really long so you get the shortest response possible <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay um, how
0: how was working on the show because i know
1: it was like a big deal
3: uh it was a big deal and you know I I did a lot of series that I I, I thought were really, really great series and they just didn't go for whatever reason. And this was the one show that I knew was going to be great. When we did the pilot, you know, it's, it's so funny how how things, um, David Bow, who, who did the part of mountain and back to the beach. Uh, when I, when they moved me up to the lead, um, then the part of mountain opened up for back to the beach and David Bow got that part. So then, um, flash forward to the audition for a mad about you. And David bow was reading for the part of Jay Selby right before me. And this was for producers. So uh, Denny Jacobson and everybody was in there and I was next after David and he came out and he had his shoes off. So he took his shoes off in the audition and he came out with them in his hands. So then I was like, Oh, so then when I went in, they called me and I took my shoes off. And came in with my shoes in my hand and immediately the, the just the place just erupted in laughter that i did that and uh and i ended up getting that role but i knew when we shot the pilot i knew it was going to go because their chemistry um paul reiser and helen hunt's chemistry was so great that there was no doubt in my mind this was going to get picked up and it was going to go and it was great i had so much fun on that show uh, richard kind and you i think as you know already yeah. is, 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 a dear friend of mine. And we go back a long way, even well before that. And, um, Anne Ramsey, um, you know, from a league of their own, among many other things is, is a friend and, 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 um, Helen, and I haven't talked to in years, but, but she was a friend as well and super cool. Um, and I had a great time on that show and then it just went sour and I can't really tell you why it just went sour and, um, and it ended, uh, badly. And uh, it's still something that I think about. And Steve, I really appreciate you bringing it up, even though Andy wrote the question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, something that still haunts me to this day. But.
0: My, my question was about Jake and the fat man. I don't know where Matt about you came from. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, good one. That's right.
0: Paint me out to be a complete and utter bastard.
3: You yeah. and your porn mustache. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, tell me, regardless of whatever, you still were amazing on that show.
3: Oh, thank you. I love doing that show. I love doing that show. And, then, and there were so many nice people on that show. And uh, a lot of people, Leela Kenzel, who played Richard Kine's wife on that, uh, I, I, and were still dear friends. And, um, and it is and was uh, a great show. Um, so, um, you know, kudos to them for going, I think almost maybe nine seasons, but, um, yeah. So again, just very fortunate. You know, there was another series called the five Mrs. Buchanans, um, that I caught, I caught Mark Cherry, you know, cause his next series was desperate housewives. I just caught him at the wrong yeah. time. <laughs> you know, we did eight episodes and, and we had a great show. We had a, we had a great cast. Um, and, uh, but just caught him at the wrong time. I needed to catch him one series later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, as I know you, Tommy, I know you won't mind yeah. me bringing up the fact that you have uh, a long-time friendship with some guy called George Clooney. Uh, he, he's yeah. done all right with himself. He's landed some coffee commercials here and there. You never know. heard of him. <laughs> he's got one of those faces that you recognize in stuff. You know? uh, but uh... In all seriousness, this is a, a true Hollywood friendship. You know, it's not one of these superficial ones. I mean, he was also the best man at your wedding as well. And you guys have done a lot of work together over the years. And was this friendship pre-ER? Because I know that you appeared in a handful of episodes of ER around that time.
3: Yeah. Um, You know, I could just about get teary-eyed right now just thinking about him because he has been such a good and and dear friend for many years. Um, And we have done some work together. And that is, for me, you know, I'm so happy for his success uh, because he is such a good dude. But then you, you mourn the loss of what we had before that, you know, when we were playing basketball at the Y, you know, Uh, All the time. And we were going thrift shopping together and we would go martini bar hopping when martini bars just started becoming big in L.A., Uh, you know, where we're singing, Oh, Danny Boy. Uh, (laughs) And the, the, the drunker we got, the more we'd sing it and everybody was so mad, like, shut up. But then it came around full <laughs> circle that then everybody was started laughing because we wouldn't stop singing it, and then we're writing down the lyrics on napkins and passing it out so we get the whole restaurant to be singing with us. <laughs> oh, Danny Boy, you know for like the thirtieth time, and you know, and and so it was stuff like that that was so great, and uh, you know that you now you know, we don't get to do that anymore. Uh, you know, and he's just always, you know, like he he lives mostly in London and mostly in Italy. Um, so I don't really get to see him, uh, as often, but you know, such a good dude. And yeah, we met, um, before ER when we met, I think he was, uh, had a recurring role as Cela Ward's detective, sometimes boyfriend on sisters. Oh, wow. That is going back. I think that's what he was doing at the time, I think, or shortly after we met, he started doing that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's such a good dude and we do go back a ways and, uh, and, uh, yeah, but you know, what? we've done some, so I did two episodes of ER, which he didn't know I auditioned for, by the way. So he was surprised when I got that. And so that was a nice one for me. Um, but you know, he did his directing uh, debut was uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, the Chuck mm, Barris yes. story that that Sam Rockwell played in. That was so great, and I'm on the deleted scenes because oh. I was I was Ham Bone Man, and so you know you're doing all the you know slapping every part of your body, and so and he was, that was maybe going to be the soundtrack to, uh, to 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 the killings. And it ended up being the the Indian guy singing uh, Elvis, uh, the Elvis impersonator. Uh, they ended up doing that. But if you if you do see the DVD uh, for Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which by the way, if you haven't seen it, you guys should see it. It's really good. Yeah, it's and, brilliant, and and, and and a great performance, not just by Sam Rockwell, but Drew Barrymore in one of the best things she's ever oh, done. Oh,
0: definitely, definitely. Yes,
3: and uh, I remember George said that she he'd set up a screening for her privately at Warner brothers. And immediately afterwards, she called him on the phone and was just in tears, just and said, you know, George this is the best thing I've ever done. Thank you. Um, but, but anyway, I didn't make the final cut, but because George is a cool dude and my friend, he kept me in the credits. Uh, so then I got the residuals, um, but you can see me on the DVD and deleted scenes. See me do Handbone man, Steve. Okay. <laughs> 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 why, he knows why? you haven't seen it. Why, why
2: is everyone you? picking on me? <laughs> 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 oh,
1: God. for some reason, if for some reason, when you were talking about the early days with uh, with George Clooney, all I was thinking of was just Return of the Killer Tomatoes.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I met I met him after that. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. He, yeah, he know, takes he... no credit for friendship on that movie. No
3: credit. <laughs> no. No, he, he wasn't ready for me. He wasn't ready for me yet. <laughs> no. Based on that the, uh, movie,
1: no one else was ready for him either. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, it was. God, We used to play flag football together. We I'd, I'd put together co ed football games on the weekends, and we'd play f- flag football. And, and he was doing From Dust Till Dawn for part of that. And he had the huge neck tattoo that they had to kind of keep on all the time. So it was pretty, pretty, pretty funny back in those days anyway yeah yeah he's a good dude
1: well 2000 was another big year as you appeared in a radical live tv experiment at the remake of fail safe which was filmed and broadcast live from warner brothers studios uh with quite a large cast of names how were you approached and how daunting was this spectacle during rehearsal
3: uh super daunting it was two sound stages five sets I think, five sets and uh, 24 cameras. And on my set was Sam Elliott. No mustache, by the <gasps>
0: way. Yes. Surely not.
3: Yes. It's a myth. Yes. and uh, The
1: mustache was on vacation.
3: <laughs> he was on vacation. Um, and Brian Dennehy and James Cromwell. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and that, that was just my set. Um, and we rehearsed for five weeks. So i got to hang out with these guys for five weeks and i uh, george cast me as the role as one of the pilots uh in the beginning and it, it was just a small there's like one small locker room scene for me or something like that and but then somebody dropped out that had a larger part and he came to me on one of our sunday basketball days at his house uh, we played basketball three on three every sunday uh, with, with uh, George and, and the rest of the boys and then we'd barbecue and, and stuff like that and then watch a movie at the, at the end of the night in his theater uh, so it was a pretty great Sunday to look forward to but one day, one Sunday, he comes up to me and he goes, hey Tommy, somebody dropped out um, but I need you to uh, I need you to, to take this part over and I'm like, yeah, sure you bet he goes, well before you say yes I mean I want you to know it's, it is the, it's a really tough paragraph uh, of technical dialogue that you can't screw up I'm like, oh, oh yeah, well, it doesn't matter. It's, it's fine. Yeah, it's all good. It was dialogue from hell. And it is a long paragraph. And you can't get it wrong because it's giving the codes to the Russians on how to, you know, like denuke it. And and it's this long thing about radio frequencies and sliding and you know, megahertz. And for five weeks, I never screwed it up. And, you know, in Brandon, he looks at me, he says it, I stand up and I say this thing. And for five weeks, I never screwed it up. And then we did a rehearsal the day of, we did a run through the day of the, uh, the day, uh, you know, right before we go to shoot it that night. And I screwed it up for the first time. <gasps> I'm like, Oh no. Oh no. I'm shooting this tonight. I just screwed it up. And so it's live. So I'm on the set for that hour and a half or two hours that we're filming this and I have a little line here in this scene, a little line here, a little two lines here. But I know I have this paragraph from hell of dialogue coming up. And I'm like, shit, shit. And I'm, you know, staying a character. And I'm like, okay, um, you know, do it, uh, you know, do it, do, do it for your dad. Because your dad just passed away. So do it for your dad. I'm like, well, that's dumb. To, you know, do, 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 your dad just died. Don't, don't, don't do it for your dad. That, that's, 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 that's kind of not right. And I'm like, we're getting closer. I'm like, you know what? Do it for George. You put a lot of trust. You're like, oh, don't do it for anybody, dude. Just do it. Just do it. Just, just, just be in character. Be in the moment. It'll take care of itself. And it comes up and he says a name and I freaking nail it. Freaking nail it. I'm Beautiful. like, yeah. And at this time now, I'm still on camera. I'm like, don't cry. Don't cry. <laughs> 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 don't cry. <laughs> so, But, but during, during the rehearsal there's one little scene I have where I have to, I have to check something. Uh, My character comes on and someone that, that uh, a soldier working under me has to double check this thing. And it's a real short scene. And the director comes up, we rehearse it and he goes, all right, you guys good. And it it really is like an exchange of like two lines, but it's an important part. And I go, you know what, can we do it again? And the other actor looks at me and goes, really? You need to do it again. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. I need to do it again. And so we do it again. Now come to do it live, come to do it live. It comes to us. We're on live television. I say my line, his only line in the whole thing. He screwed it up. <laughs> he screwed up his only line. And he leaves the scene first and then I follow up behind him and he's down halfway down the stairs because it was uh it was higher it was uh, on a higher level and he's head between his legs and I'm like Pat him on the back. Uh, Don't worry about it. I'm sure nobody noticed. (laughs) It kept on going. (laughs) I couldn't help it. (laughs) Uh,
0: And and nobody did notice until you've just said it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just roast him years later. (laughs)
1: i guess it's i guess it's like doing uh live theater though isn't it if you if you mess something up as long as the rest of it can actually progress on properly then the only people that actually realize that something's gone wrong are the people that are actually making it the whole the audience they got no idea they're just going along with whatever's being said
3: yeah yeah it was it was it was you know i think it did well um i think it should have done better um It should have been big because it was so huge and it was so good. And there were so many great actors in it and everybody did a great job. And it really was a who's who. And, uh, oh, the other thing was, is that um, all the family and friends were across the lot uh, in, in, in a big theater watching it live with us. But the thing was, what they didn't tell them was the screen would go black during a commercial. So they but nobody told the audience that the friends and the family. So when it went black, they thought something happened. Like something went wrong. And and, and, and everybody was all panicked, like, oh my God, what's happening? And everybody's, you know, and Tracy said it was just like, oh my God, what's happening? Um, yeah, but when I came out afterwards, where there was a big huge party that that George threw, because that was George's baby. And uh and there was just a huge party, and I just saw my wife and I just broke down tears of just all that pen up for five weeks and building up to that live moment and then actually you know owning it was pretty great now obviously from my stories i, I cry a lot so um <laughs> <laughs> it's all right we,
0: we, we save it for the end of year best of
2: <laughs> it's just gonna be Tommy crying
0: after every
1: question <laughs> The same year, you're shooting uh, the family movie, The Little Vampire, over in Scotland, where you play Jonathan Lipnicki's uh, father, Bob Thompson. Yes. Uh, yes, And you are chewing the scenes with Richard E. Grant and Alice Krieg, uh, two yeah. Shakespearean-style actors in a kid's movie. Well, how was that?
3: Uh, it was uh, fantastic. Um, Karsten Lorenz was one of the producers on that movie, and they were looking at... Uh, at auditions and, uh, of the, going through the auditions of the people that were auditioning to play, uh, Jonathan, Nikki's father, Bob Thompson, as you had said. And I was a big, uh, Los Angeles Clippers fan, uh, because I'm from San Diego and they were the San Diego Clippers first. So I've been a Clipper fan for a long time and I would go to the, to the games. I had season tickets and I would dress in all red. I'd have red, red pants on. I'd have a, a red, you know, a warm up jacket on and, you know, a red cap and, um, and I would be dancing. They put me up on the Jumbotron and I showed up to uh, this audition dressed in my R- Clipper Red because I was on the way to, a, uh, to a, a Clipper game. And all of a sudden he's going through the auditions and he goes, wait, 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 wait. Go back to that last audition. He goes, I know that guy. That's the guy that's dancing on the Jumbotron at the Clipper games. Yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> that's how I got that role. And so this was amazing because I got to spend my summer, the whole summer, uh, in Edinburgh, uh, Scotland shooting this movie. And they put us up in a flat. That was the, uh, the window in the living room looked out upon the Edinburgh castle. Like that was my view up on the Hill. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it was amazing. Now it's funny that you shoot a vampire movie that largely takes place at night. Uh, in Scotland in the summer when you have seventeen hours, eighteen hours of sun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's kinda of like the mentality of Hollywood though, isn't it? You shoot day for <laughs> night, you shoot night for day, you shoot winter for summer.
3: Yeah, I'd never seen so much uh, dubotine in my life. But um <laughs> so when when we were a uh, Duvetine for people that don't know is the black cloth that you'd use to, to block out the light. Anyway, um, so when we were checking into the hotel, which we had not ended up staying in, um, Alice Krieg was there, and I'm like, oh. and I was you know in love with Alice Krieg from her you know the, from her many movies and and uh, and like you know I, she was the young actress in Chariots of Fire and yeah and so I met her I'm like oh hi uh, uh, Miss Krieg I'm Tommy Hinckley. and I play Bob Thompson. And, uh, I remember I loved you in in this movie and, um, you know, it's just really nice to meet you and blah, blah, blah. And she's just looking at me with like, her mouth is just slowly, just like dropping like, Oh my God, who is this guy? And, uh, and then I just kind of slowly just like, Oh, just excuse myself. And then she, you know, carried on and then she left to go to her room and I went, Oh my God, did I, did I just embarrass myself? And she goes, I think she thought you were charming. I'm like, oh no, oh no. (laughs) Alice Krieg. Uh yeah, no, uh, Richard E. Grant was great too. I mean he used to uh set his farts on fire for kids.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so (laughs) Whitnell.
3: By the way, that's one of the all time great movies, Whitnell and I. Love that movie.
0: I think you've just shattered the illusions of Richard E. Grant fans Uh, all throughout England who just see him as, like, the shining example of, like, Of a a proper English gentleman, yes. (laughs) Now we know
3: he does what I used
0: to do
1: in my late teens,
3: yeah. (laughs) Lighting his farts on fire. Hi, I'm Richard E. Grant. I light my farts on fire. Uh, By the way, I mean, he is... he can get away with that because he's such a good actor i mean he's good in everything and, and he lights his farts on fire um don't try this
1: at home children
3: no don't no do not i would i would never I, I would never do that
0: i'll show you what's in your toolbox <laughs>
3: Um, oh. Yeah, that was fun because I got to take uh, Tracy with me, my wife and uh, and our daughter Katie, who was just five months old at the time. So you can imagine her in a stroller on where every every street is cobblestone. You're little. That was that was hell hell on Katie. Uh, yeah, that was fun. <laughs>
0: That's it. That's it. The story is never going to get any better than that. No. <laughs>
3: well, okay. I'll tell you what. I'll tell, I'll tell you what. We, there was a wonderful scene that I still put on my reel uh, of us playing golf. And, uh, and they had this ex- expensive camera shot, shot from a helicopter, a master shot of us walking onto the green. And you see it's, it's on a cliff and you see the ocean and, and it's just this beautiful shot and it's a beautiful day. And we're just have our, you know, our polo shirts on and that's it. Now they go to shoot the scene. That was the master, the expensive master shot that they're going to open the scene with. Well, when they go to shoot it, it's overcast and freezing and towards the end of the day, but we can't have jackets on because we have to shoot this scene that's actually got some length to it. So he's actually, Jonathan is actually, his lips are turning blue because it's so cold. And so it's like, you know what? Let's just shoot his stuff and I'll just, you know, we, we can shoot my stuff a little bit later, but let's just get his stuff done. Um, but it was interesting because you see uh, the scene, you don't really notice it because it, it, the this, this scene's good and the, and the movie's good. But, you know, if you do think about it, it was a sunny shot opening shot and then it's this windy kind of overcast shot the scene shot in but uh, that was interesting to trying to keep him warm and it was hard for him to pronounce the words because his lips were blue but uh he did great he was really uh he's actually was a really good uh, young actor for sure no doubt about it
0: that's basically like your salford weather except someone actually stole your jacket yeah <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah the
1: show is not yeah. complete without a dig at salford <laughs> yes.
0: Okay, well, over
1: the 2000s, you're appearing in a slew of movie projects, such as, uh, as you mentioned, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, uh, Ocean's 13, and as well as like, you're also doing cutting-edge shows like The Shield and NCIS. Then you land the role of Hardleg in uh, Clooney's football comedy Leatherheads, which I don't think's a bad movie. Uh, I just struggled to find an audience. Uh, Now, what can you tell us about the project?
3: Um, That was one of the great experiences. Um, You know, Back to the Beach being one of my best experiences um, and uh, The Little Vampire being another great experience. Uh, But this one is is definitely up there, if not maybe the best experience Um, because it really was... Like it was, it was almost like this fraternity of guys and I was never in a fraternity, so I don't know exactly what that was like, but this was, I imagine like that because look at half the movie takes place in the newsroom and the other half takes place in, in the, on the football field. So we were only working half the time. So it's all these guys that are there, uh, you know, just running around. So we were all, we were hanging out all the time we'd go to lunch together. We'd do dinners. We'd be drinking together. We'd be bowling together. We'd go to movies together. And, you know, and we were getting, you get per diem, you get a hundred bucks a day per diem. So you got it. You got a, you got a uh, an envelope full of cash, uh, full of seven, uh, $100 bills. And so we were like, you know, this is the life. This is like the <laughs> actor's dream. You know, you only working half the time and then we're just running around like a, like a posse, you know, it was great. And, you know, Renee Zellweger was awesome. Um, She is so good and such a nice person. But she also, she would hang out with us. Not a lot, but there were a couple times she just like, hey, uh, I'm not working today and you guys aren't either. You guys, what are you guys doing today? I want to join you. Like, we're actually bowling. Great, can I come with you? Like, yeah. Yeah, she was actually just a great hang. And, you know, just like one of the guys hanging out. She was really really cool. But that was just, that was a great movie. It was really, really, really a fun movie and really, really, really well done. I thought by, by George and he was great in it. Of course. And John Krasinski, I mean, their, their chemistry was great as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, it has a great cast when you look back on it now. I mean, you know, it's, it's got so many like award winners in it. Obviously Renee's won best actress since, uh, for her yep. Judy Garland role.
3: It was best yep. actress, wasn't it? Uh, Steven Root.
2: Yeah. Uh, Stephen Root.
3: Root. Uh, mm-hmm. uh Yeah. Wayne Duvall. Uh, I think it was, was it Jack Thompson? Uh, I think maybe played the, uh, the editor.
0: It was an amazing cast and it's just a shame that that movie just didn't get kind of just a more fond remembrance than it does.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan Price was in it.
0: Yep. Oh God, Uh, I forgot about Jonathan Price.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So many great actors. Um, yeah, you know what, uh, Andrew and Steve, I think that because he he made a screwball comedy, but I think that he was so um, um, so religious to that style of filmmaking. I think to a point to where he did really recreate a movie from the nineteen thirties and forties that that might have had Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn in it. And you know, and I think that the the, the present day audiences, I think that they need something that's a little bit you know. Uh, a little bit more edgier, maybe it has a little bit more darker, a little bit that maybe that doesn't quite play as well with today's audience. Um, maybe possibly, I'm just tr- trying to imagine because it was such I thought a, a, a beautiful and well crafted movie and funny.
0: Yeah, I, I think the the comedy these days kind of became less sophisticated. Mm. You know, around the time it's all American Pie, Dude, Where My Car, uh, Shallow yeah. Howl, all of those type of movies. And and nowadays, a lot of comedy movies are just improvised. You know, they'll take yeah. about 20 different takes of say something this, say that, say that, and just latching on to something that's kind of funny. Whereas yeah. an actual structured comedy, you know, yes. that measures the laughs
2: mm-hmm. and
0: builds on the characters yes. is, is not so much, well, I yeah. guess it's kind of passe nowadays. Look, look at the two Ghostbusters
1: movies. There's a prime example. You've oh, got here the. Here we go with Ghostbusters. The, oh. Shut up! You've got the. You've got the original, which was uh, which was actually scripted. Little bit of improv here and there, but most of it stick to the script. Do this, do that, and then you've got the Paul Feig thing that was just just keep talking, and then we'll let it around you. And yeah. yeah, that Steve still hasn't seen. No, I'm not going to either. So, shut <laughs> your
0: face.
3: Wait, he hasn't seen but- what?
0: Uh, The remake of Ghostbusters with uh, Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig. It's,
3: It's good. Steve, what are you doing? I thought it was really good. I loved it. Loved it.
0: Oh, that's that got to be the most controversial statement on the show of all time. Steve's going to look back one day when it's pulled out of what's in the box and be like, oh, if I hate this, I will never trust the word Tommy Hinkley
3: says again.
2: What well, you're
0: forgetting as well is I have the power to edit this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, so true.
0: <laughs> so not long after Leatherheads... Uh, you took a step out of the business, you kind of slowed yes. down, and eventually uh, you left Los Angeles. Uh, you would be married to Tracy Needham for quite a number of years now. She's an amazing actress. She's fondly remembered by myself as Meg Austin on Jag. Yeah,
2: uh, because first year. I absolutely
0: love that show. And John Ashton, who we're having on the show in a couple of weeks, was also in Jag as well. Uh, she also kind of took a bit of a step away from the business, also. So it was a kind of a mutual decision by the two of you. Uh, you both moved out to Colorado. Uh, I believe you opened up a, a children's acting school. Uh-huh, and that's right. H- how did this decision take shape for you both?
3: Well, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing about the business is that um, to have, you know, am blessed to have the career that I've had and the people I've worked with. But all of a sudden, it just got slow for me, and I, I can't explain that. It's, you know, instead of me auditioning once or twice a week or three times a week, I was now auditioning once or twice a month. And I wasn't working as often and Tracy uh, you know, they say that once an actress turns 40 and it was so weird, she was 39 had a pilot season where she tested for the lead in three pilots. And it wasn't a matter of if she was going to get one, it was like, how would she pick which one out of the three when she gets all three? I mean, she was killing it and it worked out that she didn't get any of them. Now, go one year later the very next year after testing for the lead in three pilots she didn't have one audition for a pilot not even one audition and that was just a year later she turned 40. she's like oh my god and so all of a sudden we weren't working and i i might get a guest star gig but that's you know going to pay you x amount of dollars and you got it you know you got a house and a mortgage and a kid and and you know your your property taxes is, is, is so much so we just decided, let's just raise our kid who was in third grade at the time. Let's raise our kid out of town. And so we went to Boulder, Colorado, and, you know, more or less, you know, took a sabbatical from the business. And Tracy left it completely uh, to raise our daughter. And I started, we started this acting school uh, called Real Kids, Real with a double E. And uh, and it was really, instead of kids doing plays, where very often they're playing you know adults or they're playing vegetables or animals in these little kid plays um you know we would shoot scenes and we taught them how to be on camera and how to be uh present and to be aware and uh and improv which is the skills that will serve them as an adult so uh so we would give so we'd shoot scenes and they would all help shoot them and be in them and 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 do the crew roles and we'd, they'd all be exchanging roles and parts and it was really fun. So at the end of the sessions, they would get a DVD of these scenes that they shot uh, that my wife wrote, uh, Tracy, and that she, uh, and she would edit them. And, uh, and it was really fun. And we really loved that. But uh, uh, we were poor business people because we're both actors. And uh, you know, we were not just, we weren't making a lot of money doing it. We kind of break even. And it also, you know, people would have a tough time sometimes paying it. Some people, and we'd go like, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> just come anyway. And so, You know half of our students weren't even paying (laughs) so so we we weren't good business people um but that was fun and it just it was just time to to get out but you know uh then we moved we spent five years in dallas and that's where i was tending bar for four years um uh, which was a great experience and then uh but we were always looking forward to getting back so as soon as our daughter graduated high school uh, we were back in la and that was about four years ago and so You know, it's just about getting my career going again and, you know, getting that ball rolling. I mean, because half the casting directors are not doing it anymore. Uh, And, you know, then there's a whole other half that are brand new that don't know me. Um, So it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I hired a new manager, Bohemia uh, talent. And uh, so we're going to get the ball rolling again. And it's, uh, it's exciting to be doing that.
0: Yeah, well, like like you said, you know, you're on the comeback now. Uh, you're making strides, uh, getting back into acting, and you're really finding yeah. this new energy and experience as well. Yeah. you know, at this a later stage of age, you know, as you mentioned to me kind of earlier this week, you know, you, you're an actor. You show up, you do the jobs to the best of what the director wants. Yes. Okay. And yep. uh, you know that path back so far, you know, it, uh, it's it's going to be great for you. I know. I definitely want to work with you because of the level of talent that you have and hopefully we're going to work on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how have you found it so far with, uh, your new management?
3: Great. Well, I'm getting out more, which is good. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because now, um, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of actors say this, um, just by, by nature of, of, what we do and who we are, uh, you know, but I am a room guy. Uh, I'm, I'm good in a room. I'm good thinking on my feet and, so, you know, through this pandemic through, which is, you know, going to be, what is it, a year and a half now, maybe even coming up on two years, uh, you know, it's been not in person, it's been Zoom, it's been uh, mostly self-tape. And so there's not that energy um, that you have, that you're just riffing with people. And um, so so that's been a little bit more interesting, but it's also fun you know, as an actor or just being creative of just coming up with interesting things to do on your self-tapes that maybe somebody else isn't doing, whether it's the, your, your, your shirt you're wearing or, you know, the, the, the glasses that you choose to wear or the background that you're using or the way that you shoot it. Uh, you know, maybe you're going to be looking a little bit slightly off camera or, you know, or, or just things that you can do to keep it interesting for, for the directors and the producers that are watching. So, yeah, it's been fun.
1: Well, one way of uh, thinking about things is that to succeed in this business is just to be happy with the opportunities presented. Would you say that was a good philosophy?
3: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because the thing is, is that it can't be, it it, it can't be about uh, the, the the end result. It, it's it's always about the journey. Because I think that if you're if you're enjoying the process and you know, look at, I've been doing uh, a lot of auditions, uh, you know, in the last, you know, six months, especially. Um, and I've been doing really good auditions. They're going really well and I'm having a lot of fun. And, and that's where I am in my career right now. Um, is I'm having fun and making fun, interesting choices and, and, uh, and enjoying the ride. Uh, because that's, that's all part of it. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, you're putting yourself in it. I'm, Love my wife and my kid; they're awesome, and we're all together up here in Boise. And and uh, and I look back on my career, and, and the people I know, and the people I've worked with, and, and 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 the new people I've met. Hi, Andrew. And um, uh, you know, and it's 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 good. And I I could not be actually happier right now.
0: Well, that's absolutely great. Tommy, you've got an amazing career, and we've only really scratched the surface of it. Really, uh, by just pinpointing some areas. But um, I guess now with kind of movies and musicians and people actually starting getting projects underway now, people should be contacting Bohemia to get you in that room.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'd be fun.
0: And uh, if you have a kind of project for TV and uh, you love the classics, then you definitely want to hear about Tommy's Nominate 5.
3: Oh! Now's the time to Nominate
2: 5. Nominate! Please nominate five Or three, or four, or six, or
0: nine Now's the time to nominate five. I really did you struggle It wasn't as
1: good as the earlier ones,
2: no <laughs>
0: I know, but I heard Tommy go, ooh, over the music And I think that should just yeah. stay in from now on <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter what the guest is You just put his, ooh <laughs> mm, yeah. I know we that's get, going on our Halloween special. Yeah,
1: uh, we get Charles dancing at some point. Yes, that's quite right. And then I played Tywin Lannister. Ooh, now's was the time. yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: book him, book him. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so nominate five this week. Uh, we have a bit of a special one because Tommy has a, a very extensive career. So I thought, what would be the nominate five for Tommy if he could choose five? of his best TV series that he's worked on for you people to go and find. I know a lot of people tend to go nowadays and research a lot of older material. Uh, Some shows are available on things like Amazon Prime, uh, Netflix. Is there another one nowadays? I know HBO Max and Paramount are kind of racking up all their old shows to go on their platforms. So we want to find out what five Tommy would say. Are you ready, Tommy? Yes. Okay. We're going to go for what would you class at number five?
3: Uh, this is a really hard list, actually, uh, because I've, I've done a number of really fun shows, um, some that I've, I've, I've starred in. Uh, I was a regular cast member, and others were just guest stars. And it really is h- hard to pick out five. But I will... <laughs> just like every uh, other
0: guest, really. Yeah. <laughs> Try getting it in a countdown. <laughs>
3: Uh, so we're going to start with five, number five, and then we'll work our way to number one. Is that how we're doing this? Right? Yep.
0: Please, please. Okay, <laughs> If we can pull that um, off, that would be amazing.
3: Okay. Um, I'm going to go with number five as a guest star spot that I did on that 70s show.
0: Oh, a classic. Okay.
3: Yes, because, and one reason is because this was really a really funny scene uh, and I grew up watching him on television. Again, like a, a lot of a lot of people in, in my career, but uh, it's Tommy Chong, <laughs> uh, Tommy <laughs> Chong. Oh I, yeah. I yes. And Danny Masterston, that both of them were in a car, and it, the episode is called Ice Shack. And I pull them over, and apparently they are um, have a bag full of drugs. And so I pull them over and I come up and I'm like, what's in the bag? And they're like, oh, like they're going to be thrown in jail now because of this bag of drugs. And then um, they pass me the bag and I look, up, I look in it and I'm looking at them. And it's dog food. It's a bag of dog food. And so then Tommy dog says, you know, well, if this is the dog food, then where are the drugs? Ooh. <laughs> so uh so that was number five working with tommy chong okay. uh oh. number four yes you have a question
1: no 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 i was just gonna say what was number four but you already got there so hit me <laughs>
3: uh number four uh i'm gonna go with uh teen angel okay Teen Angel was uh, a series that I did. Um, They had already done a few episodes uh, and then they uh, got rid of the mom and then they brought in the father. So I play Casey, uh, Casey Beauchamp, who's a minor league. uh, He's been a minor league baseball player, which is why he wasn't in his son's life. And uh, Ron Glass from WKRP in Cincinnati played God in this. And so I got to work with Ron Glass, who was lovely. Uh, and there was one time we were backstage and he came out and he was in this, you know, like this great suit or something like that. And I'm like, oh, well, look at you nappy dresser. <laughs> and it just fell like this bl- lead balloon. And I'm like, like, I'm looking at him like, what, what did I say? And he goes, I don't think you meant nappy. I think you meant natty dresser. And I'm like, <laughs> oh Yeah. So sorry. Yes. Natty dresser. <laughs> I'm like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> just an idiot. Um, but that was a lot of fun. So that was number four.
1: Yeah. Wrong glass favorite of mine. Firefly. Oh, rest, yeah. rest in peace. Ron,
3: uh, by the way, uh, that is one of my all time favorite movies. Um, and that's very funny that you say that Steve, because that brings me to my number three.
0: Oh, is it? Firefly?
3: Is, uh, nope. <laughs> Uh, number three is Angel.
0: Oh, ah, the Josh Buffy Whedon. spinoff.
3: Yes, uh, with David Boreanaz, who was great. He was wonderful to work with. Um, but this was apparently rumored, as uh, of all the episodes that they did in their, in their many seasons of Angel, apparently this was Josh Whedon's favorite episode because they go back to the 1930s, 40s. And I played a oh. uh, detective.
2: Yeah, yeah, I and remember so I, that episode.
3: I, yes, yes, yeah. So that was great to work on. It was a really good episode. And it was Angel, and it was working with, uh, you know, uh, Josh Whedon, and that he loved the episode so much, and that I loved uh, that movie, uh, Firefly. So, I mean, Serenity. Serenity is what I loved, the movie. Uh, yeah, so that was number three.
0: Wow. Okay, where are we down on To number two.
3: To number two. Now, this was uh, – not a hard one because it was my wife's, it was my wife's show, Tracy Needham. It was her show, the division with Bonnie Bedelia and Nancy McKeon from facts of life and Lisa Vidal and Leela Rashawn, who was married to Anton Fuqua at the time yeah. and, um, uh, still married. And, uh, and that was fun because then I did like five episodes playing, uh, her, you know, husband. So we were playing the husband and wife and, and, uh, and it was really just, We've actually worked together a number of times, uh, my wife and I. And usually, it's weirdly I'm leaving her in <laughs> practically everything we do. Do you is get into trouble kind of-
2: then
0: when you come home? Like,
2: You've left me again. Is this is
0: this some weird kind of role play that you guys have? <laughs> Let's break up on someone else's dime.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was, that, was, that, a was, show, that was a good show, though.
0: I do remember that. It was a
3: good show. Yeah. Yeah. Tracy did. Tracy did the first four seasons of that show. First three seasons, first four seasons. And her her second partner was John Hamm from Mad Men before wow. Mad Men. Wow. And uh, they had asked her to come in and audition the five guys that they had narrowed it down to. And so she auditioned with the five guys. And then they left. And then they pulled her into the office. And they said, so tell us who your favorite was. And she said, "You guys did a great job because any one of these guys could play this part. But if you don't hire John Hamm, you're going to kill yourselves because he's he's going to be great."
0: Yeah, he's he's money.
3: Yeah, and she and she saw that back then.
0: Yeah, yeah, she's got a good eye for talent, obviously.
3: And they worked well together. They loved working together, and he's he's still a friend and 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 a good dude and and really a good actor. I mean, he's done so many great projects. You know, oh, from yeah. sucker punch to, you know, to 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 the town and all kinds of wonderful stuff. Good omens recently as well. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, okay then. So we've just got one more left. What is your number
0: one? I know what I want it to be. Uh,
3: yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to disappoint you, Andrew, because I think I know what you're going for. Um, but I'm not going to say that one. That was going to be maybe number five or, or number six uh, was um, – and this is not my number one. That this would have been five or six. What I think you wanted me to say, Andrew, was Golden Girls.
0: Nope, no, it wasn't. Oh, okay. so there's still hope. Okay.
3: I'm still in the running. <laughs> um, so, of course, number one for me would be uh, would be Hard Knocks with Bill Maher because right, that because that was yeah that was my first job. Uh, you know, having never been on camera before, and they really they really looked out for me. They were doing the uh, same producers. Um, executive producers were doing another show at the time called brothers also on Showtime. Um, And so they had me hang out on the set every day, just watching the actors work and watching how stuff works. And they were really just priming me and giving me this really quick um, but intensive education on how to do this. And, and I remember, uh, uh, there was one time when we were shooting the pilot and I just, we just weren't getting it. It didn't feel like we were getting it, and I just, it just felt like something was missing. And um, the 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 actress Babette Props that played uh, my niece on the show, uh, she uh, was having a tough time too. And we were talking about it after one of the rehearsals, and it was it was late at night. And we said, you know what? Let's go get a uh, a drink across the street at Lucy's El Adobe. And so we go over there and we're drinking margaritas and we're drinking more margaritas and we're getting, and we're getting, we're just, we're getting drunker. And then we go, you know what, let's just go back. We go back. So we go back across the street, we get onto the set and we just hearse a couple things and we start talking about stuff. And we just got this attitude of like, you know what? And I would, this is what I would always say before I would do any scene, I would get out and I just, right, right, before we start the scene, before they say action, I go kicking ass, taking names. And then that would just like get me up and just own it, and then and then and that was that was it. It just seemed like kind of a, a silly thing, but that worked. It just got me in the right space, and we just owned it from there on out, and it was really fun.
0: And it's Mark Hamill's favorite series.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and, good you know callback. What? Yeah, I'm I'm so, I'm I'm just so
0: disappointed it wasn't something is out there.
3: <laughs> oh, something is out there where I played the hearse driver, Ricky. <laughs> yes, I remember that, Ricky with uh oh. with olivia Di- diabo yeah was, was it miriam or olivia i get a Are mix it,
0: up we might be the only two people who actually remember that series actually existed yeah, <laughs> i have not was... got a clue what you're talking about it, right it was now. a great uh she's an alien he's a cop and they're hunting down aliens
3: <laughs> yeah dan cortese dan cortese dan cortese that's the guy that's right oh my yeah. god yeah, oh.
0: it was uh, it was very. Um, I think it only did one season or something like that. But yeah, yeah. that it was, sounds uh, like it should have a theme tune. Like she's an alien,
1: he's a cup, and the hunting down aliens. <laughs>
2: uh, I
0: just I just wrote it. <laughs> I did the acropella version. But, uh, uh, it was a it was a cheesy show. That is that's a great nominate five uh, for those people yeah. who want to to track down Tommy. Obviously, Hard Knocks is a show that is kind of lost in a vault somewhere that I don't believe yep. has gone on any streaming platform or anything so far. Yeah, just yeah, like the yeah, full fine. version of Ricochet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Brilliant.
0: We nearly got through an entire episode without a Ricochet reference, and Steve just hammers that one in. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely yeah. love it. Back of the net. Love Release it. the Mulcai Cup. Release the Mulcai Cup. Russell, we, we still believe...
3: Hey, before we wrap things up, I want to just go back to one of your last – one of your recent podcasts because I too, like Steve, had never seen this movie. And uh, we could have tied it in earlier talking about Richard Donner. Steve, you know where I'm going.
0: Oh, don't yep. say it. Yep. Don't. Don't. No. Don't admit to yes. it, to me. There can't be Duty. two people who have not seen Duty. the I, I have found a kindred
3: spirit. <laughs> yes, you have. I have not seen it. And I so I saw it because of your podcast. Uh, I ah, so he's actually and, watched it. <laughs> uh, I did just watch it, and it's wonderful. And to see uh, to see Sean Aston, you know, again, uh, very young and being so great, I mean, you could really see that he was going to be something special. Um, but that was a wonderful movie when you think about that it was Christopher Columbus and Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg wrote it. That's amazing that Richard Donner, uh, you know, directed it and that it was Kathleen Kennedy and uh, and Frank Marshall. I mean, that, that was just like the dream team for yes, that.
0: And also it was Joe Pantoliano's 70th birthday yesterday.
3: Oh, Joey Pantoliano. He is
0: not yes. 70. I didn't believe it myself until I saw it on Facebook. But yes, because uh, I'm connected with, with Joey. And, oh, my uh, God. Yeah. How, how weird is Cipher that? Cypher is 70. I know.
3: Oh, it right. It. The Matrix. Yeah. The Matrix. Anyway, enough of our callbacks. Yes. Uh,
0: that's an absolutely fantastic Nominate 5. Uh, go and hunt down these episodes with Tommy in and just see a guy absolutely loving life and having fun on TV as the Tommy that I know Oh, there's the police.
3: Shit. (laughs) The founders.
0: (laughs) Hide the back. Hide the (laughs) back.
3: (laughs) We're busted.
2: (laughs) Quick.
0: (laughs) Hide. Hide those
2: cigarettes. (laughs) But
0: yeah, uh, Tommy, it's been absolutely fantastic. And uh, I guess all we've got to ask now is what's what's in the box.
2: What's in the box? What's in the box? what's in the box what's
0: in the box tommy's beaver has just had a heart attack
2: (laughs) 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 no you didn't no you didn't (laughs) oh my god (laughs) well anyway
0: steve Once you've composed yourself, tell us uh, the whole theme of what's in the box, please.
1: Uh, Okay. Um, It's going to be slightly disjointed this week because of what we opened the show with, but what's in the box is the point of the show where Andy tries to take me away from video games and movies like Street Fighter, In if you don't know what we're talking about, just listen to last week's episode. It's great. And tries to get me into more highbrow and more critically acclaimed movies. So he's going to dip his hand into a box full of uh, certified fresh from Rotten Tomatoes movies and pull out a movie. Sorry, it was just... just I'll do that one again because it was distracted by the police siren going past. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, leave, leave it in, leave, leave it in, out. it's okay. fine, it's fine <laughs> it's, it's more urban, we're going ghetto this week <laughs> we
2: going ghetto, God almighty
0: That's our, that's our next t-shirt So yeah, um, as last week <laughs>
2: <laughs> We are
0: about as far from ghetto as you can possibly get Well, it's, it's when anyone says sulphur That sirens just naturally go off Anyway, so yeah, Uh, what's in the box last week? Uh, Steve got Flags of Our Fathers, which, to be honest, if you heard the beginning of the episode, uh, you knew that this week. We're going to do something special this week, because Letters from Iwo Jima was made as a companion movie for that, which is told Mm -hmm. from the Japanese side of Iwo Jima. And after watching Flags of Our Fathers, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the other side of the
1: battle is going to be like. Because, you know, it doesn't matter which side that you're on in a war,
0: everyone is fighting for their own... Cause course. So everyone's the good guy, it's the opponent that's the bad guy. Yes, and to, to be honest, the the fact that this movie was the one out of the two of them that was more shooed in for Oscar appeal is one. The only problem being is, Steve, you actually have to read this movie because it has subtitles, it doesn't have any Ken Sawada-style dub that you can glean some enjoyment <laughs> out of this movie by just watching it. You do have to actually watch the subtitles. That's, what uh, that's fine. I, I've got no problem with subtitles. No problem with subtitles whatsoever. So tune in next week and you will be able to hear how Steve got along with watching Letters from Iwo Jima. Uh, our guest is a bit of a surprise still, so we'll uh, wait until next week for you to find out who it is. But in the meantime, Tommy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. We're, as I always say this with every single guest, but we would love to have you back again yeah. uh, to come in and join in on just some of the crazy stuff that we do end up doing along the yeah, lines. Of we of course. We could have a nice companion episode where we'll just bring a handful of our guests back and just have a round table. That'd be cool. That would be cool.
3: Oh, that would be fun.
0: Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll bring in uh, the actors for a day and, and we'll just sit back and watch them all talk to each other. Yeah, you can do, you uh, can do our jobs for us. Fine. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, it would be great. It would be great to see Rebecca again.
0: Yeah, definitely. She's very uh, she's really hard at work at the moment. Uh, seems to be booking herself out every other week. So, I think she's basically got to put us in line.
1: Get the queue. Andy's absolutely right. You've been a fantastic guest. I cannot wait to get you back on. It's been a right left this week and uh, wish you all the best.
3: Uh, and
0: back at you guys. Thanks a lot. Okay. Well, I guess we've just got to cue some, uh, some music to kind of bookend the show, Steve.
1: Yes. So, for me, goodbye.
0: For me, I guess I'll just see you later. <laughs>
1: Nice beaver.
2: <laughs>
0: that
1: was
2: so good. That was so good. That's a
0: little bonus for anyone who actually listens to the
2: <laughs> music.